Before I open the Word of God, I want to share uh, an opportunity for you to be involved in something that will bless you beyond your expectations. Last fall when we did the service outreach weekend, I went with my wife Karen and a group of people over to the Assisted Living Center. And there Karen conducted a program and the children from the Sabbath school were there and it, it was so exciting to me to watch the response of the residents. They were, they were just thrilled with the joy watching the children and they shared and singing the songs and it was wonderful. And I told Karen, I said, you know, somehow I've got to do something for those folks. I don't know what it is, and I don't know how to do it. And she said to me, why don't you take prayer meeting over there? And I said, you know what, that's a brilliant idea. So I talked to the activities director and uh, talked to our prayer meeting crowd. They all agreed. And so on Tuesday night this last week, we had our first prayer meeting over at the Assisted Living Center. And we had about 30, 35 of our people, and they had about 30, 35 of their people. And we got together and sang together and prayed together and studied the Word of God together. And I want you to know it is an extremely moving experience. These are people who used to run churches, organizations, all kinds of things. They used to love being involved in church, but they can't because of life's experiences right now. And they were so happy. I will tell you one thing, though. If you come, <clears throat> do not wear a heavy sweater. <laughs> they keep it warm there. And I noticed about halfway through my presentation, I looked at our own people and they were kind of drooped over, looked a little wilted, and they were fighting like everything to keep their eyes open. And I looked at the residents and they looked like they were on speed. They were just having a ball. So do not overdress, they keep it warm there. But if you would like to be blessed, it's Tuesday night at seven o'clock. We're going back to the story of Moses. And if you'd like to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32, we're going to continue reading there. The last time we were here, we looked at the experience of Aaron. The time before that, we looked at the experience of the people. For those who weren't here for either of those messages, this is the story of the golden calf. Moses is with God up on the mountain, and that's where the story we're going to read today takes place. We start with verse 7. And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. 
Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now this story when we read it, creates questions in our minds. One of the questions is, can a man really change God's mind? Then there are other questions. What about this picture of God's anger? Is it accurate? Does his attitude change over time? Is he different in the New Testament than he was in the Old Testament? Does God have wrath? If so, what is it? Why is it? And what does that say about God? And maybe you've wondered this. Is it possible for us to make God mad? How can he have an attribute that Jesus condemned when Jesus talked about being angry with your brother? The questions about God's wrath will be the subject of next week's sermon. Let me give you something to think about, though, in the meanwhile. God's wrath in the scriptures is not associated with him losing his patience, but it is the inevitable reaction of his perfect nature toward evil. It indicates that there is within God a holy intolerance of idolatry, immorality, and injustice. It is evil that provokes God. And contrary to disagreeing with God's wrath against evil, those who are seeking to follow God have within them the greatest respect for him that he hates evil. Well, we'll deal with God's wrath next week. This week, let's answer the question, can a man really change God's mind? Well, let's see what the Bible says. In Numbers chapter 23, that's one book over to the right. Go to Numbers, the same author, Numbers 23, verse 19. That author being Moses himself. Numbers 23, verse 19 it says this in the New King James Version. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? The New International Version is helpful in understanding this. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Does God change his mind? If he does change his mind, can a man really change God's mind? You know, this has tremendous ramifications. 
If someone can change God's mind, what can we really count on? What can we really count on? And yet, at the same time, if you can't change God's mind, why do you pray? I mean, what is the purpose of praying? Well, <clears throat> the longer I study the scriptures, the less convinced I am that I can stand up here and tell you about God. He is far, far too complex for me to understand. All we have is the revealed Word of God. And to say more than what it says is foolish. To say less than it says is irresponsible. One thing it does say is that God's mind does not change. So what is prayer? I'm not going to preach on this. Don't have time today. But I know this regarding prayer. I doubt that I've ever changed God's mind through my prayers. But I know He has changed mine. Perhaps that's what prayer is all about. There's another verse I'd like you to look at. You go to the very last book of the Old Testament. Or if you don't know where that is, go to the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, and then back up one book. And you'll come to a, a book called Malachi. Malachi was the last recorded prophet before the New Testament. And in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, there's a very clear verse. It says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. I do not change. Can a man really change God's mind? Well, the Bible says no. So what is the story of Exodus 32 about? Many scholars identify it as the great model for intercessory prayer. Moses is standing in the gap between sinners worthy of death and an angry God ready to destroy them. And so they say, when we pray for people, this is a good model to use. And I believe they're right. But I do not personally think that's what this story is in the Bible for. I think there's another reason. But let's look at the story. And as we look at it carefully, I think it will unfold before all of us that there's more to it than just that. In fact, the way the story is told, the words that are used, certain phrases and concepts that are presented indicate to us that there is more going on here than a man through prayer changing God's mind and preventing others from being the recipients of God's wrath. So let's see. Please go back to Exodus 32, verse 10. Exodus 32, verse 10, it says now, this is God saying, Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Well, think about this. What is God saying there? God is saying to Moses, Moses, don't hold me back. I'm going to go down there and I'm going to wipe those people out. 
Moses, stop it. Don't hold me back. Now, that in and of itself lets us know that's not exactly what's going on because how can a man hold back God? How can a whole planet hold back God? Do you realize if every human being on this planet rallied together in opposition to God, God could take his finger and flick the planet off into space where we'd be frozen in a second. What can we do to stand between God? So we know there's more going on than just intercession. Get out of my way, Moses. Moses, don't stop me. Moses, quit it. Move over so I can do this. We go to verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? So God says, let me alone. I'm going after him. And Moses pleads with the Lord. He's begging it's a description of prayer because many times we beg too when we pray. He's pleading with God. No, God, don't do that. Don't do that. Verse 12 gives us some insight into what he says. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. In essence, Moses is saying, God, calm down. Get a grip. What will people say? Now, can you imagine telling that to God and thinking that God would say, oh, yeah, whew, man, I almost, almost made a mistake there. Thanks, Moses. Pat him on the head. Verse 13. <clears throat> Moses continues, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of I give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. <clears throat> Essentially, this story is saying, let me alone so I can destroy them. Moses pleads with the Lord, says, calm down, get a grip. What will people say? Remember your promises. Look at verse 14. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. There's more to this story. It can't be what it appears to be on the surface. And I think we discover it when we go carefully through it. And as I mentioned earlier, verse 10, where it says, let me alone so I can destroy them. Uh, as mentioned earlier, what can a man do to stop God? We can't. So we know this is a setup for something. Not exactly clear at this point, but it will become clear as we study further into this story. But again, we ask the question, what is the story about? Let's go to verse 7. There's a very strange thing that is said in verse 7, but it's a key to helping us understand this story. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I want to ask you a question. Did Moses bring the people out of Egypt? Well, in a way, he was the leader. Are they his people? Well, in a way, 
he's related to them. They're all Israelites. But in reality, they're not his people. It's not his victory. He didn't deliver anyone from Egypt. God did it. So God tells Moses that the people are his. And that Moses brought them out of Egypt. And uh, that is another thing to say, no, wait a minute. That's not quite the way, it doesn't sound right when you think about it. Well, God is dealing with something very important here. But let's continue reading. Verse 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, and my wrath, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation." Now, notice verse 11. Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? Moses didn't bite. They're your people, God, and you brought them out. God is dealing with things going on in Moses' heart. Moses has two problems, and God is addressing them in this story. You see, it is tempting when involved in a successful work of God to think it is because of you. The Israelites do not belong to Moses, and he did not deliver them from Egypt. But within Moses' heart, there's an issue that is astir. Because he is a human being, and he has a fallen sinful nature, his heart is bent on self. And he is thinking, he is struggling, the seeds are there. They haven't borne any fruit yet, there's no evidence of it, but the seeds are there that this guy could get in trouble as he continues to walk from victory to victory with God. The trouble he could get into would be to think that they're his people, his deliverance, his victory. This couldn't be done without me. We see the evidence of those seeds bearing fruit when you go to the next book in the Bible, to Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. Those seeds, unheeded by Moses, will now bear an awful fruit. This is just before they were to go into the promised land. They'd been at this for nearly 40 years, walking in the wilderness. They're about to go in, and this story takes place. Verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother, Aaron, gather the assembly together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. The instructions were very easy and clear. Take the rod, take Aaron, gather the congregation, 
Have them all there. Speak to the rock. Water will come out. There'll be water for the animals and water for the congregation. See what happens. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. So far, so good. And he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you from this rock. At least he's giving Aaron some credit here. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly in the congregation, and their animals drank. God honored the leader, but he was unhappy with the leader. Watch what happens. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to hallow me before the eyes, or hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. The New International Version says, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Do you see what's happened here? God in Exodus 32 is dealing with seedlings in a heart in order to prevent Numbers chapter 20. You may wonder in your life why you go through some things. You may wonder in your life why this could be happening. It may well be that God is dealing with you to prevent a tragedy like what happened with Moses. Moses was not allowed to take the people into the promised land. Oh, God was not done with him. God didn't cast him off. He certainly forgave him. And Moses is in heaven listening to this if he wants to. So let's go back to Exodus 32. We see that God is identifying what was in Moses' heart so that this unfortunate future wouldn't happen. Now... It's interesting that there was another issue that God was addressing. Verse 10, let's go back to that. Chapter 32, verse 10. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. God said, God set the stage. These are stiff-necked people. Moses wouldn't disagree with that. They went on to him. He's tired of them. They're irritating. And God says, tell you what, Moses. Let me just wipe them out and I'll start over with you, your family. Have you ever wished the people you worked with could be more like you? I mean, you talk about a golden opportunity. Finally, somebody who gets it. They'd be like me, they'd talk like me, they'd think like me. Finally, we'd be around some decent people. You know, the human heart is so oriented to self, it actually believes it is the center of the universe. And everyone else is just kind of out there. And if they could just be like me, we'd be so much happier. Have you ever wished your spouse could be more like you? 
Don't say amen. We all know. See, as I mentioned, the human heart thinks it is the standard. It believes it's the center and everyone else should kind of get it. They should understand them and be like them and seek to be like them. Moses is confronted with those thoughts. Let me remove the difficult people from your life. Have you ever prayed that? I have. It's one of my most oft prayed prayers. I don't want to kill him, Lord, but I wouldn't mind if you did. He's difficult people. What is it with difficult people? Everywhere you go, they show up. And when you pray one out of your life, ten more come. You can't shake them. They're everywhere. So who's giving birth to these people? <laughs> Difficult people. And somehow we have it in our mind. If we could just get rid of them, how happy we would be. Have you ever been tempted to think if your wife or husband were taken away, you'd be happier? Have you ever been tempted to think you deserve someone who is more like you? In fact, you deserve someone who is better than the one you have. How does Moses deal with this? Well, first thing he says, hey, wait a minute, they're your people. They're not mine. And I don't want to start over. Why? Because you're God and you have made these promises. Promises to all of them. Moses settled the whole issue on the promises of God. And I've written in my notes, I wonder how many marriages would be happier if couples were reminded of their promises to each other and were encouraged to keep them. There's a lot of power in those promises. So what is Exodus 32 about? Us. If we are successful at something, we have a tendency to draw the glory to ourselves. If working with difficult people, we think they should be removed. And I believe the main point of this story is revolving around God confronting Moses with his heart to prevent him from falling from sin or falling in sin later. You think about it, all this mess going on down in the plain, millions of people in apostasy, and God is working on one man. He wants this guy saved. He wants this guy to get it. He wants to prevent him. He's doing damage control ahead of time. What kind of God is that? What kind of God cares so much? And what kind of man is Moses that he included the story? God is holy. And Moses learned it. And Moses is, is recorded in Scripture that he was the meekest man that ever lived. But it's interesting to me. He's the one that writes that. So I don't know what you do with that. <laughs> 
I've always wondered what that means. Maybe I'll find out someday. Sorry, Moses, you know, if you're listening today. So I want you to picture in your life, you know, hundreds of people here, thousands in the community, hundreds of thousands and millions as we expand out a little ways. And everyone important to God, but no one as important to God as you are. And he wants your heart to be right with him. And he is doing what he can to prevent seeds of destruction giving birth in your life. He wants to stop that. He wants to work with you on it. And it reminds me of the great prayer that David prayed in Psalm 139. And this will be our closing passage today. Please turn to Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, verses 8 and 9, these words are written for us. It's a prayer. I'm sorry, not verses 8 and 9, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. New International Version simply says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I want you to look at the screen, and I'm going to ask you to think about something. If you would like to pray the prayer that David prayed, if you would like God to search your heart to see if there's anything in there that needs to be dealt with so that you don't have a Numbers chapter 20 in your life, if you would like to do that, I invite you to stand. And now, while you're standing, let's pray the prayer. Look up at the screen. And I want you to say this out loud with me as I pray this prayer as well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Father in heaven, I pray for everyone who has prayed that prayer. I pray that something will happen to them to indicate you are answering that prayer. You are blessing them because of that prayer. And that you will prevent them from harm, danger, and pain that they could bring upon themselves by allowing seeds to bear fruit. I thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.